0: Do you know what kind of doctor has the worst credit score? Proctologists, because they're always in her ears. Hey guys, Mike Mills of Mike Mills Mortgage and Finance here. Do you care about your credit score? Have you ever wondered how it's calculated and what makes your score go up and down each month? Are you a realtor who wants to help their clients get the best terms possible on a home loan? Well... My next guest is the credit Jedi who will unlock the secrets to the perfect credit score. Joining me will be Sue Buswell. Sue's been in the mortgage credit business for over 35 years. She is a credit ninja score slayer who leverages her expertise in credit and score analysis to help real estate and mortgage professionals better help their clients achieve the best credit score possible. Sue's going to tell us all the dirty secrets of the credit scoring business. She'll explain best practices when it comes to monitoring and managing your credit on a monthly basis, how to maximize your score before applying for a loan, and how to fix your credit if you've had some challenges in the past. To many people, their credit score is a badge of honor, and to others, it's something that they never, ever want to look at. Whatever camp you're in, this podcast will be full of information to deal with that necessary evil determining your ability to borrow money for life's major purchases. Having good credit can save you thousands of dollars a year in interest expenses, and that means you can't afford to miss this one. Hello, hello, everybody. How are we doing today? So I got a question for you. Do you lie awake at night wondering if your credit score is secretly plotting against you sometimes? Um, Are you ready to unravel the secrets of a credit and uncover the tricks to unlocking the perfect credit score? Well, folks, Fasten your seatbelts because we've brought in the ultimate credit mastermind for this milestone 70th episode. So welcome to the Texas Real Estate and Finance Podcast, uh, where we unveil the keys to financial empowerment, one episode at a time. I'm your host, Mike Mills, a mortgage banker in the heart of Dallas-Fort Worth. And today we are diving deep into a topic that affects every aspect of your financial life, your credit score. Now, before we unmask the hidden hacks of your credit report, a quick reminder, if you find value in these conversations, please don't forget to hit the subscribe button on your podcast platform, or you can check out my YouTube channel at Mike Mills Mortgage and Finance for more content. Subscribing guarantees that you never miss out on information that could help you take your real estate business to the next level. Now, our guest today isn't just a credit expert. She is a bona fide credit ninja, Jedi, master, or whatever superlative you want to use. She's got a staggering 35 years of experience in the mortgage credit arena, and she is here to share with us her wisdom and reveal the hidden treasures of the credit scoring universe. I'm thrilled to welcome Sue Buswell to the podcast. Sue, how is life treating you today?
1: mike it's great i am kind of wondering though if there's somebody else supposed to be joining me with a cape on because I don't have one, so thanks for the great interview. hey,
0: hey I, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta hype you up. You know, we gotta make sure that everybody. Look, I promise you, your your uh, Jedi ninja master skills or are, are a thousand times more than the average person that's going to be listening to this. So you're going to help out everybody with this, and um, I think it's this is one I'm really excited about because I think you got a ton of information that my audience will really find valuable. So um, now you sent me a bunch of great information, and and we're going to go through how it affects mortgages and the changes with maybe with the FHFA and all that stuff but I want to get started with some simple stuff first we're just going to kind of ease our way into this a little bit um how did you become a credit ninja so was it like a Bruce Wayne thing like Batman or or, or something similar like how'd you get to where you're at uh, yeah so I
1: I was actually going to pull out my uh, my copper judo medal from when I took third place at state just to share that you know I do have some some background in martial arts but yeah, really it started back in 1985 and yeah we didn't have FICO scores at that point but I learned about the credit system because I went to work for a Union bureau and that Union bureau back in those days did a little bit of everything. So I was hired into their mortgage department, learned the business from the ground up and in 90s, you know, 95 When FICO came into our market, I was ready to to learn about the system, but no one else understood it and there was still no explanation. So, you know, me being someone who's not afraid to ask, what the heck does that mean? I picked up the phone and I called FICO and I said, I need to understand this because I can't keep telling my customers. Nobody gets it. You just have to have it. Right. Right? So anyone who was in the market back in those early days, they remember that. They're like, I had this guy approved two weeks ago. He doesn't have a score. I can't do a loan. Right. Those were tough days. Yeah. So I learned it from the ground up and I learned it from I like to say the inside out. And I've always been a strong proponent of empowerment through education. So I try to I taught my team, you know, we were credit expert came in the market in the 2000s, but we were analyzing credit reports and helping people make the right choices to, you know, pay down debt or dispute something or whatever they needed to do to improve their score before we had such a great tool as the credit expert tool. So anyway, that's it, you know, I say 35 years, but add a tick a few more on there Mike. <laughs> I was 12. I was let you, out you all your No, I was 12 when I started. It was forced child labor.
0: <laughs> you were a credit scoring uh uh you were a credit scoring creative or credit scoring expert before it was cool, right? You you, you had right. before everybody right. else got there. Yes. Yep, um right. so all right, so you you were on, uh, you know, I, I don't want to say the enemy side because trans is not an enemy, but it's certainly, uh, it, you know, credit. Nobody, it's nobody's like favorite topic as far as like you know diving right. into, it, but it is something that we all need to have and that we all need to know, and that's that's the you know the important thing is that everybody needs to be conscious of what they have and what they're doing, and and that's why I really want us to kind of highlight you know some basic stuff when it comes to credit. So so let's start with if you were. You know, a parent. If you were talking to um, a, a kid that was, you know, starting out with credit, you know, we'll we'll start from a, a clean slate, and we'll kind of work to if things go sideways, what we can do. But what would you suggest to you know? I'm a parent. I have two kids. I have a 16 year old and a 15, 14 year old. And um, you know, we're going to start. We've already started financial education. You know, we work through budgeting and saving money and accounts and all that kind of stuff. But um, when it comes to credit. What would you suggest would be some best practices starting off to kind of build, build your credit up?
1: Well, it's kind of interesting. So when, when I was raised, right, my mom was a bookkeeper. So she knew about budgeting and managing money. My dad owned a business. So what we had was what we call a chore board, right? So. So, if kids are doing chores in your house, they can choose which job they're going to do and how much money they're going to earn from it. That was my first experience. Okay. But if I found you know a precious that was more than I had earned that week, then I could do extra work or I could get an advance to buy whatever the item was that I needed to have. But then I had to work to pay it off. I didn't get another allowance, right? So, I think those were really, really early lessons for me when you're nine years old, you know, and you've bought your little precious, whatever it is that you had to have, and then you can't get anything for another two weeks because you're basically in debt right. and they've got their hand out going, no, you owe me, you know, you owe me for that. So take that to today's world, right? We're grownups. We've got to have, you know, that was how I learned about credit. I had to have something. Or I thought I had to have it. So those lessons can start really early. And then there's a lot of things out there now. There's apps. There's I think it was something called a green card or chime card. I don't remember what it was I saw, but you know, these are apps that help parents work with their kids. Like here's your you you did this chore, you raked leaves in the yard, so you're gonna earn 50 bucks. Oh, I want to buy a bike. Okay, well now that's an opportunity to teach. You're fortunate because you're in the finance space. So you know to teach your kids that. But we really have to make sure that we're serving all the people who aren't in our space and don't understand those lessons. Where do I go to get it? Right. So, TransUnion, Equifax, and Experian have great sessions and sections and information on that. And I think those are great places. But your schools aren't teaching it. That's unfortunate. We're not getting it in school. We don't, you know, I think I learned how to write a check, but I already knew how to do that from my mom. So, I mean, with your kids, where are you looking besides what you know? What do you see as a parent that's helping you teach your children?
0: Well, we actually have, um, I started this several years back. I've I've done a couple videos on it, actually. Um, There's an app called Busy Kid. Um, And what it is is very similar to what you were saying. I go in as the parent and I create a certain amount of chores um, and I assign a dollar value to those chores. And actually when they were young, what I did was um, I would give it a, like if they were brushing their teeth, for example, which is something that you got to teach your kids to do when they're young, um, they would get, you know, 25 cents for brushing their teeth that morning. Now it was stuff that they need to be doing, but they're young. And so, but the, the idea was, is that they would have a task that they would have to complete. They would then complete that task, but then they also had to go into their, um, app on their phone or iPad at the time, most of them, they didn't really have phones. They had iPads. Um, they would have to go into their iPad on the app and they would have to check the box that they brushed your teeth that morning. So it was giving them a level of responsibility to not only do the task, but then also acknowledge that they did the task. And then at the end of the week, they would get, a you know, paid out essentially into their account and, they had it at that time, or they still do have debit cards. But when they were little, we didn't really do the debit card thing because there was, you know, they're not rolling to the grocery store needing to buy something. So, uh, but they could see how much money they had in their account. So if they wanted to buy something at the store, get a candy or a toy or something that, we didn't, you know, was it our responsibility as parents to provide essentially that was anything extra that they wanted and they had their own money to spend. So they had to learn what, you know, what the cost of things were and you know, how much, well, I only got 20 bucks this week and I just spent $5 on this. That doesn't leave me a whole lot of money left over. Um, mm-hmm. And the other cool thing about that app is it has three sections to it where it has your spend, it has your savings, and then it has like an investing section where they can actually buy stocks and stuff that they want to. So, um, wow. so it's really cool because it teaches them a lot of good habits. Um, it doesn't really get into you know i guess you you don't want to you know we were talking about this before we got on you know debt is not something that we want to encourage people to get into right because credit is really all about applying for debt and if you're applying for debt we're going to look at your score what is your history of paying debt right what have you done in the past um, and so we don't really want to encourage our kids to get debt, but at some point it is a necessary evil, you know, like we were talking about with houses, especially with what we do, you know, people mm-hmm. don't just have $400,000, um, under their mattress that they can just drop down on the house. Most don't. So right. there is a, there is a point where you necessarily, where you do need it. But do you think as like a 18 year old, 19 year old, because I ran into this in college when I first went to college, uh, to Texas tech and it's been a long time, but it was like 1997. Um, When I showed up there at the freshman orientation, there were literally, I mean, I don't know if there were hundreds, but 20 or 30 booths with, you know, MasterCard, Visa, every single credit credit card you could possibly imagine. And they were all giving away T-shirts and gift cards, like, you know, just encouraging you to sign up. So do you think, you know, and I think we've gotten away from that as a society, but do you think nowadays... If I take my daughter and, you know, should I get her a credit card at 18 or should, you know, and, and teach her how to manage it and use it? Or what are your thoughts on that?
1: Um, yes, I think you should. But I think just like you've taught them responsible management of money, this is just an extension of it. Right. So take those lessons that you're teaching them about responsible management of money, and now you can do it with credit. So let's say they get a $500 credit card, okay? okay. And they've, they're gonna go out and put $500 on it, right? they need to understand the interest. They need to understand that every time they make a $50 payment, $30 of that payment's going to somebody else. It's not paying off who they borrowed the money from. It's going to someone, especially at today's rates. It's going to somebody else. So here's how I like to think about credit. It's a necessary evil. Mm -hmm. You have to have it and you can't get it unless you have it. Right. (laughs) So, right? Can't get it unless you have it. So we have to understand the rules of the game and then we have to learn how to play the game so that we're the winners, not the creditors. Right. So if someone's offering me a credit card and it's 0% interest, I'm probably gonna take advantage of that if I have credit card debt Okay. that I need to manage. But I'm not just gonna flip my credit card over there without having a significant look at my budget, Right. something you and I were talking about earlier, and saying, am I simply buying time? Am I taking on debt to get out of debt? Like, does that even make sense? When you say it out loud, right? I'm in debt. I need help getting out of debt. So I'm going to take on more debt for the hope that I get out of the debt. It's like, no, right. And you had a conversation with an applicant where, you know, you were treating them as a human and having a real conversation with them saying, this may not be in your best interest. You know, I think in our industry right now, That's what we need to do. It's difficult because everyone's hurting in this industry with the drop in business. But if we do that in the right way, we're not only helping someone right now, we're teaching them lessons that they maybe can teach their entire family. So credit is necessary. You have to have it. But if you are playing the game in the right way, then you're getting the benefit of the credit. And the people at the top of the credit pile, they're using other people's monies to build their fortune.
0: Yes, they so are. So once
1: you learn that trick, that that's nope. what you can do with credit is use someone else's money to build your fortune, then you can do that successfully. Yeah. So- you know.
0: So these days, um, credit monitoring uh, systems or softwares are all the rage. R- all the rage, whether it be FreeCreditReport.com or com um, or you know uh, MyFICO or whatever. There's there's a bunch of different ones out there. So, um, what are your thoughts on those? And is it important for someone to have that? What companies would you recommend? And then also, um, you know, what type of habits or practices would you advise into regularly checking on that to monitor it?
1: So we all know during the pandemic, during COVID, um, there's annualcreditreport.com. If you don't know that, you should know that website, right? So annualcreditreport.com, you can go there. It used to be um, to every year and get a free credit report from TransUnion, Equifax, and Experian. Don't buy the score. You don't need the score, right? You need your credit report. So now they're offering you a free credit report every week.
0: Oh, is credit it every week now?
1: It's every week now. Yeah, I yeah. knew
0: they had changed it during COVID, but yeah. I don't know if they switched it back. Okay. Yeah. No,
1: they're they're back to every week. So it's it's no charge. I honestly don't want to look at my credit report every week. Um, I don't think it's necessary. No. I did sign up for, you know, credit monitoring, a credit journey. And I did um, a credit card on one, which is Vantage 3.0, 3.0. And then I did my credit union on the other, which is, interestingly, it's FICO auto score eight. so it's. But my point, you know, my score is one point off on those two models. So, you know, get something that lets you know what's on your credit. If you've never pulled your credit report before, start with annualcreditreport.com, pull your credit report and just review it. Are your creditors on there? right? Is your name, address and social correct, right? Those types of things, look at the basics and then look at whether or not your creditors are reporting information in the right way on you. And that means that the date you open the account is accurate and the balance and limit, all those things are accurate. And then look at it. You know, I would say once a quarter, what I used to recommend is in the spring pool one, you know in summer pull another and then in the fall pull the third one that's when we only got one free from each of the repositories right i'd say the majority of creditors are reporting to all three agencies at this point which you know future conversation that we're going to have about the fhfa change is coming but there are areas and you know if you live in a rural area you know that the types of creditors there are probably not reporting to all three bureaus so Mm -hmm. you know use annualcreditreport.com it's free get it you can get your credit report right online and as far as credit monitoring if that's what you're moved to do i've never monitored my own credit after 38 years mm-hmm. um i just simply picked this up this i was like oh let me see what this is about let me see how different my scores are across the spectrum because i don't think they're that different and they weren't they're not um so i think that's one thing people should do the other thing is take advantage of credit right If it's 0% interest on something and you know, you can pay it off in that time, then use that money to purchase whatever it is you're looking at purchasing um, and and take advantage of that money, but don't keep taking on debt to get out of debt. Like I said earlier.
0: Yeah. Now on the monitoring piece, You know i get this as a mortgage lender um when i because i pull people's credit every day and they will say okay well on freecreditreport.com or credit karma my credit score is a you know 695 and then i pull their credit score and it's a 650 okay or 640 or something along those lines can you explain to people the differences between credit modeling and scores based on what type of industry is pulling? Because I think there's some confusion there when they see their credit score online. I call it their consumer credit score. I don't know what you call it. And then the other ones that kind of fall into place too.
1: Yeah, so back in the day, I used to call the difference between a FICO and a FACO, but we can't right. really do that anymore. So <laughs> right, right, right. I can say I used to say that. I don't That's say right. that. Anymore but um there are big differences and there's differences within the fico models and here's the one thing that i think most people don't understand is mortgage lending exists in a completely different credit world than most other kind of lending so there's yes. that there's two major players in the credit scoring world there's fico which is fair isaac and company and there's vantage score so those are the two now every lender has some sort of an in-house credit scoring system and then there's a few other credit modeling systems out there but the two that you're going to run into are either FICO or Vantage Score. And Vantage Score and FICO are similar, but not the same. Um, And what happens with the FICO score in the mortgage space, these models originated in 95, were updated in 98, and had their last, I would say major reconstruction, if you will, in 2004. So we're using very old credit score models, which is why our mortgage industry is going to be upgrading their credit score models. yay
0: 2004 so, that was the last time they upgraded the model or updated the model. Yes
1: yeah, so well you know they make little tweaks to it, but those models are over 20 years old
0: that's think. crazy that's,
1: yeah so they make little tweaks like things that happen within national consumer assistance where all the you know, public records had to come off. And then we've had the changes with medical debt. All of those changes that have happened have been written into that. But then there's another thing that FICO scores that they do. Experian has their own model. TransUnion has their own model. And Equifax has their own model. So what does that mean? You've got FICO scores that have differences at each of the repositories, which is why in our mortgage market now we pull a tri-merge, right? We toss out the high, we toss out the low, we go with the mid score, trying to be fair, right? But if I were trying to explain to a consumer that pulling my credit report today is not going to impact their credit report, but then they also go and talk to someone about a HELOC that's going to use a FICO 8, Mm -hmm. that's going to be the same conversation that we started this question with, which is, you know, I got a 695 or a 650 because the models are different. They weigh information differently. They put different amounts of importance on things. So in the mortgage market, mortgage inquiries are ignored for the first 30 days that they're on your file. And then there's two different periods of what we call deduplication, which means the same, if it's a mortgage inquiry, meaning it's a mortgage company, it's gonna be either 14 days with Experian or it's going to be 45 days with the other two, with TU and Equifax, where it's duplicated the same type of inquiry, right? But a key lock inquiry is not a mortgage inquiry. So if the borrower did both in the same week, they'd have two hard inquiries. Gotcha. So it's the model. It's the difference in how it's calculated. And it's the difference in the level of importance that's placed on information in that credit score. So in our current FICO models and stop me if I'm going too fast for you here, Mike. But in our current FICO models, and in most of the FICO models, 35% of your score is your payment history. Like, what have you done and how have you done it, right? Mm-hmm. And there's also a what have you done lately component, because yes. it's looking at your entire history. But the more recent to the date of the credit report, the date of the delinquency or the issue is going to carry weight in the score. So that's that's number one. 35% is what have you done and how have you done it? Mm-hmm. 30% is... How much debt are you carrying specifically on your revolving accounts? Installment loans are in there, they're factored smaller, but 30% is what's your balance to limit. Most people want to say 30%. That's relative to the next category, which is the length of time you've had credit. That's 15% of your score. Okay. You and I chatted about that a little bit before the call, and I said, you know, I'm at (laughs) this. This is the benefit of aging, guys? Right, your score goes up if you do things right. So, yeah, just stick um, around,
0: your score will get higher.
1: Yeah, <laughs> sometimes there's just nothing else you can do but just have a birthday, right? Yeah, so every yeah, birthday, yeah. The score goes up, right. So, I've got a vantage score 3.0 of 829 and a FICO score of 830, right? Right, so you know that's just bragging rights when you get there, right. Yeah, right? your badge that's of honor, that yes, that's yes. bragging right, right now. In my 20s, it wouldn't have been that way. Right. (laughs) Okay. Not at all. Yes. So that 15% category that can really be a deal breaker. So let's go back to your college, you know, age kids get a card, Mm -hmm. and mortgage underwriters don't listen to this. You guys just like put it on mute for a minute. Use an authorized user account to get that length of credit history to establish your credit, and then start building your own history and profile because that 15% can be a huge deal breaker. And we've got two other categories, but I want to stop and make sure I'm not rolling too quickly and you have a chance to ask any questions.
0: No, no. The the way that I the way that I explain it to people and you can tell me if this is because I always have, you know, like again, doing mortgages for 13 years, you know, we talk, we have a spiel. It's all the same stuff we say. So one of the things that I tell people when I get that question, because I pretty much get it every single time, just about is um, when you look at the consumer credit score, which is what you get from my FICO or even from directly from, because they'll say, well, no, I get it from Equifax. I'm like, well, you're getting it from Equifax, but it's still your consumer score. It's just kind of like a A rough estimate of where you're at right you know at at a given period of time based on your accounts that you've had you know it's and and what i do tell them is like look somebody is paying for that score okay it may not be you it might be your bank it might be some other service but somebody is paying them for that score so if they're getting paid for that Mm -hmm. i would think that they They want to give you a more rosy picture of where you're at if you think that you're a 640 credit person and and my fico is telling you you're a 660 then you're like all right i'm doing great you know like it's positive reinforcement to continue to pay for a service um but when you look at cars and credit cards and automobile or in mortgages you're going to get different scores with each one and the reason being part of the reason is obviously the the models matter but in simplicity or some for simplistic terms, what I tell them is like, look on a car, for example, if I pull your, if somebody pulls your credit score on a car, it's probably going to be higher. If you haven't had a bunch of you know, repossessions and late payments on cars, because it directly affects an industry more. But if it's just been, you know, your average type report, then your score for a car is probably going to be higher than your score would be if I pull a mortgage. And part of the reason for that, or the justification for it is, this with an automobile, if you don't pay that debt, if you don't if you don't pay for your car the bank or creditor can just come take it and they can pull up in your driveway they can hook it up to a tow truck and they can drive away right so the ability for the creditor to reclaim that asset is relatively easy because if you don't make the debt payment then they can take their asset back asset being in quotes for a car. Um, but for a house, if I pull your mortgage score for a credit for a, for a, uh, for a mortgage, if I pull your credit score for a mortgage, that score is going to be probably lower than your car, because in order for the lender to reclaim that asset, if you don't make your payments, it could take years. It could take lots of money through the foreclosure process. And so the risk level to the, to the the credit or to the, um, the bank is at a much greater level. So therefore, the report scoring is maybe weighed a little bit heavier because they want to really be sure that you know that you're that they're safe essentially to to lend this money in this situation is that what do you think of that explanation is that good so or bad? I, I probably
1: simplify it a little bit but you okay. hit on something really really great you know number one is this is a risk predictor that's all the yes. score is correct it's a numerical number assigned to what is the likelihood that we're going to get paid back. Now, this might be like white, mind blowing to your viewers, right? Our mortgage models do not put a focus on mortgage payments. Okay. Okay. All right. That's coming in the new models. Okay. Our mortgage models today are looking at the likelihood that you will default on any account in the next two years.
0: Okay. So that's kind of the are you gonna default? That's really the question.
1: Are you gonna default? And it's not focused on mortgage, which is why right. we have all of those other underwriting guidelines and all those things. And the score is kind of our litmus test. It's where yes. we're gonna place you, right? The
0: barriers and of And everything
1: else has to come into play to make it work. So right. very strange, right? When you think about that, that there's no one looking at specifically, it looks at all debt. But it's not specifically looking at mortgage debt. So Vantage Score 4.0 will be doing that and the FICO 10T with the trended data. We're going to see a little bit more. We're going to see more predictive scores, which is going to um, when you increase the risk factor for your lenders, you lower the cost of credit. Right. That's one of the reasons why we have higher interest rates right now is it's a very risky market. interest rates are going to rise with risk and they will lower with risk so i think our new score models will provide a better risk predictor because could anyone have predicted that someone with a 775 score in our you know 2008 year would just stop paying on their house and do a strategic default right no 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 our score models were not going to look at that (laughs) right a lot of a lot of them did. Yes. And yes. and we're hoping we don't see that ever again. Yeah. But that's the thing. I mean, I guess that's kind of some of the secrets that we talked about. The secret sauce, right, is our current score models in the mortgage industry are really pretty basic, right? Yeah. It's what have you done over the last two years to determine what will you do in the next two years and then there's those ten scorecards, right? So it's not just three scores, three models, three customizations there's these 10 scorecards. And if you do this, you could move from that scorecard to this scorecard, right? Right. There's more, there's more behind the curtain in that. But when we come down to it, at the end of the day, what everyone's looking at is make your payments on time, right? Keep your balance to limit low. If you don't have a length of credit history, don't I mean, I did this for my little brother, he was moving into an apartment, I put him on an authorized user made sure the creditor reported, he doesn't get a card. This is Sue knows the score. She's not sending him a credit card. Right. right.
0: So, You're not giving him the ability to charge. You no. just say, yeah, I'll give you a little bit <laughs> yeah, of my history. like all my deposits
1: have. and everything. You didn't mind, did you? Right? No, we're not right. doing that. But he got his own, you know, got into the apartment, had a great credit score. Now he's gone on to establish his own credit. So he's now building his own credit. And, you know, we were talking about your kids. This is a 50 year old. This is someone who never learned the lessons of credit. Growing up with a sister in the credit system, but that's a whole family thing. We won't get into <laughs> that one on today's so. <laughs> call. Well, hey, look, it's like
0: it's kind of like you can uh, you can you can tell your friends all kinds of stuff, and you know you can tell your clients, but good luck trying to tell your family or your spouse anything because that's you're, right. you're yeah, of, they're
1: going to go ahead and take it from a stranger before they ever listen to you. But yeah, now he, we're on the right path and getting him ready for that home homeownership. So. know when he's ready to buy when interest rates have normalized and home prices have come down to where he can afford them because we have those affordability conversations a lot he'll be ready credit wise because he's making all the right steps to build his credit and i think you said this at the beginning of our conversation it's about empowerment right yes if we can empower people from from teenage right from grade school into college into adulthood I was at the Next Mortgage events um, in Dallas just a few weeks ago and had a little impromptu, like, when did you learn about credit? And here are some of the smartest women in mortgage banking with me at this event. I'm not outing anybody, but almost everyone there didn't learn about it until they had to learn about it through the School of Hard Knocks. Like, How do we pull ourselves out of that college debt, right? So we have to do better as an industry and as a society on how to teach people about credit, it really starts with pull your credit report, Yeah, you know, understand well, the scoring systems.
0: Well, it's uh, I think it's a generational thing to some extent because, and I've had this conversation with people over the years, many, many times, but you know, I'm, I'm gen X growing up. And so my, my parents are boomers and, and um, you know, we've kind of gone through when when I was growing up as a kid, look, I had everything that I needed as far as like, you know, I had a roof over my head, I had food on the table, you know, all that kind of stuff. I got taken to school. There wasn't, you know, life wasn't hard. Okay. Like it was, it was pretty good, but there wasn't very much. It was kind of like, If I were to ever ask my mom how much money she made at her job, she would look at me like, it's none of your damn business. Like, why would I ever tell you that? Or if I were to, you know, what's your credit? Like there would be, there was zero conversations about finances, zero conversations about money. And the only conversations were, you can't have that. It's too expensive. Stop asking. You know, that, that was about the extent of it. And, and really what I, you know, cause people from my generation that complain about that, I go, well, look at what their parents did because their yeah. parents just put them in the corner and said, shut up, don't say anything. And we'll get to you if we need you, but otherwise you don't get to have a say, be lucky that you have food. Right. So it, we're, we're progressing as a society, we're moving along. And now these days, I like with my kids and I think a good chunk of the population or at least you know, and I hate to say the educated population, but college graduates, people have been through the the system. Essentially, we are trying, trying to educate mm-hmm. our kids as much as we can on the, on the financial system. And especially since 2008, when everything came crashing down, you see a whole wave of millennials that were, you know, in their teens at that point and saw their parents go through the struggles of, dealing with their f- losing their 401k or losing their jobs and then they had this lifestyle with these McMansions and all these cars and stuff that there was all debt to the hilt and they looked at it and they went I am not doing that like whatever it takes I'm not going to do that so I do feel like overall um that it's getting better right it's not it's not where it needs to be but it's certainly getting better and I think those factors have had an impact just generally generationally speaking and then right. being the fact that we went through that great recession back in 2008
1: Yeah, I think you're I think you're right on there. I think that we've got technology, right, that we didn't have. I mean, yeah. you and I talked about this early, you know, in advance of the, of the cast. But, you know, back in the 80s, it took 15 days to get a what they call the residential mortgage credit report out of that's my cool. office and into a lender's hand. So, yeah. you know, hey, Mike, can you give me a pre-qual letter? Yeah, you know, come back in a month. Right? Yeah,
0: well, that's how everything was back then. You know, that's just how it is. We, we, yeah. we can't imagine We've got all
1: this great technology. And we've got more information. We have TikTok, and we have YouTube, and we have X and we have all these great places and Spotify where these podcasts will go, that we are informing the next generation. And I think they did see that, right? I'm seeing a lot of people in that Gen Z group coming out and saying, Now I, I need to know this. And I need to know how to what I was saying earlier, how to play the game with someone else's money so I'm yes. not living in debt. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the best feeling I've ever had is when my husband and I were able to say, We're debt free, right? We yeah. we use our credit cards for points. They're paid in full every month. Um, And, uh, you know, God willing, we'll never have to worry about making another house payment, car payment, what have you. We're not rich by any means, yeah. Yeah. but it was home ownership and it was continually moving up through home ownership. My first home was like 16% interest. So, you know, don't be afraid. But it was also (laughs)
0: $70,000.
1: It was a little more than that, but you know, yeah, yeah. yeah, but you know what I mean? Yeah. So, Today, if you're looking at four hundred thousand and an eight percent interest, are you going to have a little bit of pain? Yeah, you probably will trying to make that payment. But you have to look at whose pocket is the money going into. And every opportunity that you get to put the money in your own pocket from strategically using credit, that's a smart move. And I think that comes with us telling people like how how do these things work, right? So great question. And I'm going to go ahead and just say that does paying credit you know your credit card in full every month help or hurt it helps and when our new score models come out especially in the mortgage market guys they're going to be using trended data right so if you're in the mortgage space you know that trended data was something that as a as a mortgage lender mike you had an option to see it um or to not see it or to you know underwriters might want to see it or what have you but they're now going to put that trended data into the score model. So what does that mean with revolving credit? If you're a transactor or a revolver. Right. So what does that mean? Right. A transactor is someone who's paying their credit card in full every month. Right. So I look at my credit card balance probably every week and my full statement balance is paid in full every month. Now, on my trended data, that's going to show. uh, And I think about this in the way of American Express, right? Everyone in the mortgage industry Stresses over American Express because those are business cards. They might be twenty thousand limit and a twenty thousand balance every month, but they're paid in full every month, right? Yep. Yep. Today, that could be an issue in our credit score. Not with the new models because trend data is going to be showing that you're paying that. Yeah, it might be twenty twenty, right? High the limit that ratio. You'll notice in the Vantage score, and I think I sent you that chart. But Vantage score puts credit utilization at a different level than FICO models do. So that's our FICO score. That's kind of what we were talking about with the 35, 30, 15, 10, and 10. Mm-hmm. But with our trended data, FICO keeps this all the same. It doesn't change. But you're going to notice that in your amounts owed and in your payment history, those types of things that trended data is going to start being calculated. Vantage score sliced the pie six times, if you will, and they put more you know, in. Emphasis on late payments or payment history. I think it's 41% of our FICO score, of our Vantage score is history. And then credit utilization is lower than 30%. But that trend data, if you're a revolver, you could be paying on time every single month. You're only paying the minimum payment. Your transactors are going to have a higher score than your revolvers. And that's something that comes into play with our current models of fico so you know, we talk about that 10 percent. there's two tens in our current fico models and they'll be in the, the new fico models in the 10t one of those is inquiries and we'll save that one the other one is types of credit and this is overlooked a lot and mike i've had conversations with guys in your desk you know this guy's got great credit he's got great credit how come his score isn't higher and i'm looking at the credit report with you, and it's because he has all tier two credit
0: okay What's tier two credit? credit, Right? Like tier
1: two. Okay. Tier one is bank, credit union, major MasterCard, Visa, Discover, Amex. Okay. Okay. Tier one. The big boys. The big boys. Tier two. Finance company credit. Okay. Department store credit cards. You can be making all your payments on time, low ratio. But if you put a tier one credit next to a tier two credit borrower, all things being the same, tier one will have a higher score. Every time, really. So you need a mix. You need both. You need both finance company and major credit cards. Mm-hmm. So let's take so, a look at this new question. Yeah, Brad. Another better. question.
0: Go ahead, Read that out. Yeah. Off, so me.
1: Um, paying that credit card every month, but someone pulls your credit with a big balance. Um, so it depends on the model, Brad. That's a great question. When we get Vantage 4.0 in the market, Vantage 3.0 is already calculating it this way. Um, So I know you can get Vantage um, 3.0, there's some, uh, Finlocker is one that that's what they're using, and they support the mortgage industry, they support credit counseling, they support a lot of industries with their system. But that big balance could hurt in relation to your credit report, because Today's score models are a moment in time. It's what's what's on your credit score at the moment the score is pulled. Let me give you a better example of that. We can do it with credit cards, but I'd like to do it with a derogatory item, okay? So I had a lender contact me. His customer was pre-qualified last month, um, missed a credit card, they moved, missed a credit card payment, 30 days delinquent, brand new, right? So when we talk about that 35%, the biggest chunk of our FICO score, right? It takes in your payment history and delinquencies are big. And when you look at delinquencies, there's three words behind delinquent that you have to be aware of. And that's recency, frequency, and severity. Okay. Okay. So how recent was the late? How severe was the late? And how often, how frequent is this consumer late? Okay. So this was a brand new late date. They pulled the credit report, the, the middle of the month. Timing is important. This is a really great nugget, guys. Really? The time that you pull the credit report is important. They pulled this credit report the middle of the month, the late date was already reporting, and it hit his score. Mm -hmm. The date reported on that particular late date was the same month the credit report was pulled in. So October 2023, date reported October 2023. I told the lender pull the credit report on November 1. He's like why i said because they won't have reported yet they're not reporting this information until later in the month hmm. so if the late date is genuine and it cannot be removed and there's not a courtesy deletion option or any of those types of things right happening then pull that credit report the first of november what will happen is your credit report date is november your delinquency date is october and you will have a score increase because of that okay not increase, so timing Timing is huge, and I don't think no. that we talk about that enough.
0: No, the I didn't data, know that at all.
1: Yeah. And you can see on your credit report, you should be able to see the month in the year that someone reported. So let's go back to this question that Brad had about the balance. Same thing, right? If the balance got paid off, but it just hasn't reported yet, just re pull the credit report the next month, because right now our scores are very much tied to that moment in time when the trend data comes in, we're going to get a little more um, grace with that yeah. right so if it's a big balance but it's always a big balance is paid off you'll get grace because of that trend data
0: so i was always under the impression too though that the credit credit card speaking of credit card specifically that um if if your if your bill shows up in, at your house on say the 10th right well then the credit card company probably reported it to the three credit bureaus on say like the 8th or the 6th or whenever they mailed it out essentially you know it's kind of so so if you pay it off in full, they're only going to report once a month. So if you recharge it again and then pay it in full, so every single month you're going to show a balance because every time they report, cause they only report once a month, right? Just, just one time.
1: Most of them do some of them report more than once a month. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. so no, And you can see that. So you can actually see that on your credit report. And if you use the credit expert tools, um, which is specific for mortgage. So for those people that are tuning in that maybe aren't uh, aware of that, that's a tool that's available to the mortgage industry. You can actually see the date of the reporting. So you can see that it's October 13th that they last reported, which means the next time they'll report is likely November 13th. Right. So that date is important, but until we get that trend data component into our credit scores, carrying a balance, can affect you if that balance is impacting your ratio so let's talk a little bit about that right because 30 yep. percent of our score is balanced to limit specifically on revolving accounts and i've been hearing this for years just keep your balance below 30 percent.
0: yes hear that all the time
1: that's okay that's <laughs> okay right but let me give you a couple of scenarios okay i have limited credit history and i have all tier two credit Okay. right it's a risk predictor because i have tier two credit i'm already in a higher risk class than someone who has tier one credit okay. and let's say i'm carrying 30 percent balance to limit i'm likely going to have a score hit from it because i have limited credit and i have tier two credit so i might need to have my balance to limit at 10 to 15 percent hey wanda <laughs> <laughs> So um, that's something that's really important is that your score is personal to you, to the type of credit that you have. So don't get caught up in the, you know, the generalities. There are guidelines to follow and that's what I'll call them. There's guidelines to follow, but every guideline has a what if, and you're an individual, the way you pay your bills is something that's individual. The type of credit you have is individual. So we're going to go back to annualcreditreport.com and say, pull your credit report. Look at it. Who are your creditors? Are they tier two? So that's okay. Don't think you have to panic because you've got a 0% entrance finance loan on your auto. That's okay. That's using someone else's money to your benefit, but make sure you've got a MasterCard or a Visa thrown in there. Right
0: Now, um, disputes so uh one of the issues that we deal in with mortgages regularly because of the different guidelines depending on if you're doing an fha loan or a va loan or a conventional loan is when it comes to disputes on credit and in my experience in dealing with people in their credit reports what typically happens or what what i see happen a lot and this is what i tell people and we'll get to credit repair here in a minute but um but people that go to some of these credit repair companies, the, the trick or the, the, the move is, and again, please, I've been telling people this for years, so I hope I'm right. But, uh, um, these credit report or credit repair companies, they go into your report and they take every negative item, late payment, you know, collection, whatever, and they put them in dispute. And then once they put them in dispute, when I pull your credit, if those accounts are held in dispute, well, that dispute, all it does is it freezes the account. And so therefore the, the score is inflated in some cases and the score looks higher than it would actually be if those disputes were removed and that, uh, that report was included. So like when I do an FHA loan, if I have a, an account that has an over a thousand dollar balance on a collection and it's in dispute, I have to remove that dispute or I have to do it as a manual underwrite. And so, um, conventional is a little bit different. So, you know, a lot of times just because this account is put in dispute, it doesn't mean that that's helping your score. And there's other little tricks that they do to kind of get you in and pay your monthly fee and whatever. But then the other side of that is, is that sometimes I have to remove the dispute and that could cause your score to go down. But then what the dispute is, and I think this is where people get a little sideways on this is they they say, well, I've disputed that because, you know, charter, I returned the box and they said that I didn't blah, 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 blah. And I say, well, That's great, but Experian, Equifax, and TransUnion are not going to litigate who did what, when, and where. All the dispute is, from what I understand, is, is this you and your account? If it is you and your account, then it's a valid account. Whether or not the situation was right or not, that's something that you have to work out with the creditor. But at the end of the day, the dispute is nothing but saying, that's not me. Well, if it is you, then the dispute isn't helping you. What what do you say about all that?
1: Yeah, so I'd say you're 100% right giving them the guidance that you're giving them. Um, I will say yes, 100% right, yes. <laughs> if you were applying for a mortgage, disputes on your credit report are, are not something you want to have. So those will need to be removed the majority of the time, right? People dispute items on their credit report because quite often they're given the wrong advice. right? And having a negative item with a dispute comment on it in some of the score models means that that item is being ignored by the score. That's how they inflate the scores. Okay. So remember back at the beginning of the conversation, I said, I started working with TransUnion. Well, they had a consumer dispute department and you would get just bombarded with these letters from these agencies that would dispute the name. It should have a middle initial. So it's not just that they dispute an account or negative information. The trick is to dispute everything on the credit report, there's 30 days for a creditor to respond. And keep in mind that these disputes start with the credit bureaus, but the only one who can change your information is the creditor. Okay. Right. So the information comes in TU in this letter. And sometimes it's that whole story about the box. Right. And they're just trying to figure out like, what are you disputing? Right. So the dispute letter comes in, the comment goes on the credit report. The creditor is given 30 days to respond, and everyone knows that the creditor has 30 days to respond. If they don't respond, then the information has to come off the credit report. But did you know that there's also a reinsertion clause in the Fair Credit Reporting Act? And are these agencies that you're paying this money to telling you that if at any time, at any time after the expiration of the 30 days that they come back and say, nope, that's right, it'll get put right back in your credit report.
0: And it's like a new collection too, at that point, right? It's not even like a a collection. a brand new
1: date reported, a brand new date of last activity. You've got all kinds of stuff that's going to carry weight in your score. And I think that's another important thing. You know, we talked about time a little bit about timing of the debt and timing of the credit report poll, but your date of last activity and your date reported those two dates on that creditor information on your credit report is what makes that account important or not as important to your score. So that's, Something to think about. If you reactivate something that's negative, that's old, it will pull your score down. Is yeah. it being looked at your score today? Yes, but you know, I always think about what have you done for me lately, right? It's a great yeah. little song, right? So, when I'm looking at a credit report and I see that old stuff on there, I'm like, Mm-mm, we're not going to do that. Janet said, do not, right? Do not bring that current. So we're not. Well, doing that's it. the
0: that's the problem that happens. A lot of people get taken advantage of with these credit credit repair companies is that they go in and dispute everything because that's the game that they play and then they'll take an account that hasn't reported on their credit for a year you know a collection that just kind of it was a 50 dollars medical collection that they just kind of gave up on and stopped reporting it and then they send it to them and they're like oh oh you're back well yeah then this is absolutely you
1: not only do you owe it but we're going to add all these interest and fees to it so it's not 50 anymore it's now 500 and it's now you know going to tank your score by 100 points yeah yes yes it's absolutely do not want to do that so and
0: that's why i advise people i'm like look i understand what you're doing with the disputes i understand the concept of it and what you're trying to accomplish but more often than not really i think more often than not it works against you rather than it works for you when you go in and do that
1: it can i mean there are legitimate disputes sure, and, and sure, i'll, I'll show you a quick story of a legitimate dispute so this happened um to a prior co-worker of mine when i was still with that tu bureau she and her husband were getting um relocated to Hawaii. So they were buying a home. There was information, the home that they owned in Las Vegas was a home that had previously been in foreclosure, but they purchased it. And one of the repositories kept reporting it as a foreclosure in their name. Now this was happening right after the amendments had been passed to the Fair Credit Reporting Act that allowed people to sue for inaccurate information on the credit report. They had a stack this high dispute resolution, dispute resolution, dispute resolution. They hired an attorney, and they were able to sue this repository for the cost of the home in Hawaii that they'd been denied, which was over 500,000, because of this inaccurately reported information. It never got reported wrong again, but they also had a home free and clear in Hawaii. So there are legitimate disputes, and there sure. are right, I would say, agencies that will do it right, that will do it to your benefit. And then they're also going to help you build your credit back If what's happened is truly credit mismanagement and it happens, I did it. Everybody does it. Um, At some point, we were talking about that, these mortgage professionals that didn't learn about credit until they had to fix something really in their own world. So we all learn about it, but let's try and learn about a little bit earlier. I think that's what your podcast is going to do. So (laughs) you can... You know, I'm a, I'm a big proponent of if I can take my dirty laundry into a laundromat, and have someone take care of it for me, I should be able to hire someone who is reputable and doing business the right way to help me build my credit back. And I think to do that, you want to start with the National Foundation for Credit Counseling and see what options they have. Yes. Um, I'm not trying to put anyone out there out of a job that's in the, I'm going to say credit business, mm-hmm. but I think that there are places that are better suited for um, getting people set up back onto a good financial footing because we don't get into credit issues typically without some financial um, empowerment that we need. Let's use that word. Yeah, we need financial empowerment. So the National Foundation for Credit Counseling is, is always, I say, start there because they have great resources.
0: Well, that's good and that at least gives you a place to go start because i just think you know someone finds a credit repair company online calls them and then they promise the sun and the moon and more often than not when they're doing the disputes there be and it's not the individual that's doing it it's often these credit repair companies they're doing it for right. the sake of improving the credit score not for the sake of correcting something that's in that's not correct on the report which right. you know that's you're doing it for the wrong reasons if it's if it's something that you're trying to fix because it's incorrect and absolutely disputes you know make a big difference but if you're doing something you're disputing an account that's absolutely yours only for the sake of trying to boost your credit score up it can work against you in a negative way often um, yeah, I
1: had someone who uh, who okay here has got a great question about medical bills. As long as you're making a middle payment, um, well, they've changed all of that, Brad. So medical collections are are really have been changed significantly, and we're seeing those changes already on credit reports. Yes. So medical collections under five hundred dollars, paid or unpaid, are no longer reported. Medical collections um, that have been paid under five hundred dollars have been re- have been removed and medical collections or medical accounts that could go into collection have a year waiting period before they can go into collections so they've done a lot now here's another advantage for vantage score and no i don't work for vantage score um but they found they did a study there's no predictive risk for medical collections so they have already removed all medical collections from their calculations in the 4.0 and I'd have to double check, but I think the 3.0 has also removed all the, the account, if it's reportable could be on there, but it's not part of the score. So well, that makes sense yeah. That makes
0: sense, just because like you were saying it, it's, it's a predictor of if you're going to default, like your credit right. score is basically predicting, are you going to default on something in the next two years? Well, if you have, medical collections because it's such a broad, you know, uh, category, I guess, just because it could be disputes with insurance. It could be something not claimed correctly on how it's set up. So all of those things could impact, you know, in a negative light, something that you had no control over. So, I mean, I think that's at least a good change that they made because we do see that as well in the mortgage side of things. I mean, obviously to some extent it's reflected in the score, but outside of that, if it's a, if you have 50 medical collections on your credit report, we don't care. It, it, it makes no difference on, on your ability to get the loan. It doesn't impact, you know, if, if it's a medical collection, we essentially just pretend like it doesn't exist.
1: Well, and that's a great thing about the new score models that are coming into mortgage. You guys no longer have to ignore them. They're not going to be calculated in the score, right? So um, they just won't, they might be on the credit report if they're reportable. Again, these are some of the things that are coming up under the NCAP, um, which is part of that suit that removed the, the public record information. One thing on the medical collections, the majority of people that saw a score increase from the removal of medical collections already had high scores. The majority of people who didn't see a lift and are still having medical collections are the people that are sub 620 anyway right so we have an entirely different conversation around that where it's you know the disparity in the scoring system and in the financial um, capabilities of the people that fall on those certain spectrums of the scale
0: now, if somebody has actually had, let's say that uh, you know my credit's pretty darn good, but I did actually have a late payment for whatever reason, and and many a times you know I, I we get this a lot with um, or we used to. I haven't seen it quite as much lately, but just a good example of it is student loan debt, right? So I lived in an apartment in Lubbock when I went to Texas Tech, and I had my mail sent there. And when I filled out my student loan application stuff, it would have my apartment address for my address in Lubbock. Well, as soon as I I didn't graduate from tech so as soon as i left tech and went somewhere else um then now that when the bill comes due once i've graduated from college and now i'm having to pay those will that bill get sent to the address that they have on file well that address on file is my previous college address that i don't get mail at anymore so and and if i am a young college student and i'm stupid i don't set up a forwarding address and all of those things right i understand the responsibility but point being is just that the 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 bill's getting sent to the wrong place so maybe it was what kind of actual, you know, um, recourse do I have to either, should I call the credit bureau? Should I call the creditor and say, Hey, please, it, this isn't normal. Like what would you do in that instance to, to try to make sure that you can at least try to get that squared away?
1: Well, I had it happen. So I'll show you what I did. <laughs> so We had, Not Hubby great. and I both had Pier 1 cards, right? We're using the credit to our benefit. So, yep. um, his bill came in, I paid it, my bill came in. I'm like, oh, this is a duplicate. And I tossed it. Okay. So here's C knows a score with a late date on her credit report. And I don't call the Bureau to complain about it because they're not the one that reported it. It was Pier one that reported it. So right. whoever it was that was underwriting Peer one when they were in business, I called them and I was like, look, here's what happened. Had two bills. Um, I, I didn't pay it. It's it completely my fault. I'll pay it in full right now. You know, fall on the sword, call your creditor. Ask for a courtesy deletion. If you've never been late in the past, if it was an address issue, you know, the best thing to do when you have something happened to your credit that you weren't aware of or you or you overlooked it is call the creditor. Don't dispute it. Don't go to the bureaus about it. Pick up the phone and call the creditor um, and explain to them. And you can often ask, I I've done that successfully with mortgage lates, where we've had a courtesy deletion because they look back and they said, you know what, this is one time out of five years that you've been late. Obviously, it was a one off. And you even have creditors today that won't even report a 30 day delinquency. They won't report until it becomes 60 days. Oh, wow. And I think on student loans, they're typically at least 60 to 90 days before they'll report the delinquency. Really? Okay. So the best thing you can do before you get into an issue, or if you've just gotten into an issue, is talk to your creditor. The last thing they want to do is not get paid. Right. They have no benefit in you not talking to them, right? Right. So they're going to take your call and they're going to try to find a way to help you.
0: Yes. Well, and you have to communicate with people, right? You have to, the more you open communications and don't stick your head in the sand and hope it goes away, then the more likely it is that you're going to, they're going to work with you and help you out. Now, if you've had 25 late payments across your credit report and you've missed there five or six different times and now you're deciding you're going to communicate with them. They're probably not going to be as willing to help you out in that circumstance um, as they would otherwise. But, but we all have missteps and we all make mistakes. And you know, the best thing, like you said, and I 100% agree, is pick up the phone and call them and talk to them. And that's what I advise people. And we've, we've done it multiple times. I've, I've looked at people's credit report and they had like a, you know, a home equity line of credit that they were carrying and they had a late payment on it because the husband told the wife to pay it and she, and then they just totally forgot about it. And then it showed up and I pulled, us like, Hey, do you know your late payment back in April? They're like, what, how did that happen? And I'm like, they're like, Oh gosh, we forgot. I said, just call them, call them and talk yeah. to them. And say, hey, look, here's what happened. We didn't even know about it because we just figuring this out because, you know, I t- don't tell me you're applying for a mortgage. But, you know, they, they just went and did this thing. And so um, so then they'll go look and see. And, and then I've had, I mean, really, I've had it multiple times. And especially recently, it seemed like it's even been even a little bit better where creditors are re- really actually willing to work with people if you communicate with them.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I I was talking to someone recently, someone was and I I said this in my video yesterday, it was like, I'm in debt, I'm going to take on more debt to try to get out of debt. That's not the process, guys. That's not what we need to do. So if you're in debt, call your creditor, ask them to reduce your interest rates, ask them to lower your payments, most of the time, and I mean, 99% of the time, they will work with you to lower your monthly payment, they might give you six months or so, they will not hit your hit your score, they will not show you late but they will if you don't talk to them. So yes. with all things credit, the best thing you can do is start with pulling your credit report. Look at what's there. If you don't understand it, get with someone who does um, understand it and help you understand what's going on with your credit. If you're trying to build it, go to the NFCC and look for some of those resources that I mentioned, National Foundation for Credit Counseling. Um, there are just great agencies out there. They're not wanting to put you in a debt repayment plan. That's not their, that's not their goal. They do offer that, but. Just a lot of options out there, but start with understanding and start with knowledge and then you'll grow from there.
0: So um, you made a video about this. I saw some the other day and you may have even mentioned it in that one uh, too. But so right now in the United States, we have more credit card debt. Than at any point in the history of our country, Um, it's insane. And delinquencies on credit cards are rising. Delinquencies on car payments are rising. Um, Bankruptcies, uh, bankruptcy filings are going up. All these things are starting to kind of pile up on us. So this is not good things, but these are things that are happening, and you need to be aware of it. Um, So my question is: is when someone gets to a point where they are able to start paying down some of this debt, okay? And, And you may not be able to do it today, but that needs to be the plan. From your point of view and dealing with credit all these years, what would be a good route to start? Like, what would your path be? Everybody knows the Dave Ramsey thing of, you know, start with the highest interest and, you know, roll it, snowball it, all that kind of stuff. Like, you know, I think a lot of people that have seen that know, and I think there's a benefit to that for sure. But from your point of view, when you consider what's going to have the least impact or best impact on my credit score, and then mm-hmm. also, um, you know, what types of debt are are better to pay off overall so it doesn't negatively impact you on your score?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, part of Dave Ramsey, um, I don't suggest that you start with the highest interest rate. I suggest you start with the smallest balance because the most discouraging thing you can do is take, you know, try and start at the top of the mountain and climb up to the, you know, this is, so let's start, let's start at something small because then you can see the progress. So if you have a a balance of $1,000 on a credit card and you're paying a little bit extra on everything, put all the extra on the $1,000 because then you're going to see that paid off, right? Don't close it. paid off and then take all that other extra and put it on the next one right i have had friends do this over the years and they're they're astonished that in two years in two years thousands of dollars of credit card debt is paid off right now if they did it the other way the highest interest rate i get it you're you're you know you're removing that interest you're not paying extra on the interest you can negotiate your interest so and you want to see the you want to see that you're making a difference in what you're doing. So that's my recommendation. Start with the smallest balance first paid off. Put everything else on the next balance paid off. Revolving debt to me is the is the best place to start because it, you know it's it's difficult to fast track a car loan, right? Yes. They're already $700 a month, you know got an extra 700, you probably wouldn't have credit card debt, right? (laughs) So start with the small ones. And then once all of those are resolved, then do the same thing, right? But you can't take that extra money and go, whoa, I paid that off. I'm going to go do something else. You've got to stay on this path. Um, And then you'll start to see that your credit score will improve. It's not going to be immediate, but it wasn't immediate that it went down either, right? It didn't go down in one day.
0: Yes. Well, sometimes you get that late payment; it'll hit you, and it'll. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that that whole recent thing.
1: Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that whole recent thing. Um, You
0: you did say don't close the account. Now, I I kind of understand where you're coming from on that, but, but explain the first off. Explain why, and then also, you know, someone's carrying ten credit cards versus someone that's carrying three credit cards. You know, where's that? Where's that balance of how many accounts you want to open, even if they don't have a balance.
1: Okay, so I'm not going to talk about count yet. I want to talk about yeah. length of time accounts have been established. So, okay. I yeah. have a credit card I've had for over 20 years. The only thing that's on that credit card is Netflix. $16.77 a month gets charged. $16.77 a month gets paid. That's all that goes on that card, right? Okay. And so I have 20 years of credit. That's part of my 830 score. That's the biggest reason I have that score, right? I have to keep that card active. Right. Okay? I've got a couple other cards that I've had for 11 years or maybe seven years, right? They're all major bank. They're all tier one. Okay. I also have a department store card. I use that maybe twice a year just to keep it active. Again, that's a length of time. How many credit cards should you have? So around five to eight is what I've heard. That's a lot of debt to be balancing, but I have Netflix on one. That's the only thing that goes on there. I have points cards that have like my power bill and my cell phone bill, right? So everything gets paid on my credit cards and then my credit cards get paid in full every month because my credit's working for me. I'm not working for my credit. So the number of cards should be about five. You should have a mix between major bank and credit union and department store cards and keep them active. You don't need 10 but if you have some keep your oldest cards don't get rid of the newest cards
0: so keep the older ones keep those going but anything that's new you know once you get over
1: but you're still going to right so credit utilization is the entirety of how much credit you have your your you know limits if you will right and then how much of those limits that you're using having $200,000 worth of available revolving credit is not going to increase your score more if you had a hundred thousand instead.
0: Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. So, so Brad had another question, but we kind of answered this in the beginning, but just go ahead and just restate just for anybody that missed that part.
1: So Um, if if they add a child to a credit card, so, you know, it's the difference between, mortgage underwriting and credit scores. The two do not exist in the same world together, right? Mm. So we have our credit score and then we have underwriting to deal with the things that people do with their credit score. So yes, I am a fan of an authorized user to establish credit for a child. Okay. Is it weird for a seven-year-old to have a credit report? Of course it is, right? But- (laughs) They're not going to be able to get their own credit until they reach legal age. And most people, especially in the mortgage space, are going to say, you know, you can't count that. That's not their debt unless you can show that they've actually been paying on it. But the point of an authorized user, just like I did with my brother, is you get them a start. They get a start. And from that start, they can then get their own account. And that's exactly what he's done.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, having those authorized user. And I didn't know, can you add like a 10 year old to as an authorized user to your account?
1: They won't report it because they don't have a credit report yet, but I've, Mm -hmm. I've heard people say that they've added, you know, I've actually seen it where you've got credit established under a child. Some of that is in a fraud space, Yeah, Um, yeah. but you know, you're adding your, your college age student to it. It might be 17. Um, you know, to that card. Can you do that? Yeah, you can. They're an authorized user, but they're not going to report it. And if you want them to report on that person's credit report, then they're going to need their name, address, and social security number. And then they'll start reporting it. Not every creditor will report on an authorized user. So if you're looking at that to help someone get a start, like I did, make sure you ask the creditor before you do it, do you report? And if you do, what do you need to report the information on their file? And if, okay. the, if they don't have a file, it will be created through this process of them creating a credit report for them.
0: Okay. All right. Well, it's another way to get them started. You've got to get Let them rolling it. early because, again, necessary evil. You have to do something with it. You can't just, just ignore it. Um, last thing I want to get to, well, two things. One is I do want, before we get off, uh, because we're already at over an hour, so I want to be respectful of your time, but, you know, this has been great. Um the, let's get back to the credit repair companies or or sure. whatever, just because um, I want you to give kind of your, if someone was looking or trying to get their credit repair, and I know you mentioned the, uh, I can't remember the name of the company or the uh, uh, the advocacy National Foundation or. of
1: Credit Counseling. Yep. Yes. NFCC. Okay,
0: so yep. National Federation of Credit Counseling to get information there. So I want you to talk about that. And then also... If they reached out to the local credit repair company, what kind of questions would you ask as a consumer to them to say, hey, what are you doing here? How are you doing that? Um, yeah. And then reasonable costs basically for that. Because sometimes, you know, I always tell people, you get what you pay for. So if you're paying 100 bucks a month, then you're probably getting 100 bucks a month worth of service, and that's not going to benefit you much. And then we'll get to the FHA, FHFA piece here at the very end. But, but talk about the credit uh, repair companies for a minute.
1: Yeah, so I again, I I think that there's a place for reputable credit. I hate to call it credit repair. I'm going to say you know credit building agencies, okay? Credit so counseling. Credit, How about that? Credit, credit repair agencies, please change your name from credit repair <laughs> to credit building, okay? So there's um, there are some, and what I would do, my recommendation is the CFPB actually has a website that talks about these agencies. They just find a couple who were doing it wrong. Yep. and they actually have some questions to ask if you're thinking of using these okay. agencies, and they have some um referral sources Great. so i don't want to be a referral source um, in other than the national foundation for credit counseling but i think if you go to the cfpb you can get those answers really easily and it's simple to search their site it's just cfpb credit repair And then they'll let you know what you should look for. Um, There are restrictions about, you know, charging for a service that they have not received. So that was what got some of those uh, very large million billion dollar fines to those other agencies is that they were doing something against the letter of the law. So it is something that is um, allowable under the letter of the law. But there are significant rules for those agencies to follow. So CFPB is my referral for that. Um, And what was the other follow up question, Mike?
0: well okay so then um that's that's just basically on the credit repair or credit counseling side of things and um, so we we got the questions that we sh- we should ask them when we get on there we can find that on the cfpb website is there is there something that you think is a not maybe necessarily a reasonable cost but is there a um you know like uh if you were gonna if someone was telling you hey this is only a hundred dollars a month would you be like eh. probably stay away from that one if someone's like no this is actually 1200 here's what we're going to do here's how we're going to do it you know how do you gauge what makes the most sense for someone that just doesn't know any better
1: yeah i think i would again i would say check with the cfpb because they do have guidance on that um there cannot be a charge in advance of services and there cannot so there's there's a lot of rules around there and i'm not as well spoken on those rules so i don't want to give anyone wrong advice and that's why i'd say if someone's gonna charge you something for something you haven't received yet, um, always be suspicious of that, yes. okay? <laughs> yes. uh, just straight up, that's, like, I, give me 1200 bucks and I'll fix your credit report. No, no don't do that. Yeah, yeah, no, don't do that. Yeah. Don't sign up for a monthly service when you have no idea of what you're receiving. So if something sounds too good to be true, probably is.
0: Probably is. Um, all right. Last thing is you, we, you'd mentioned several times uh, these scoring models specifically for the mortgage industry are changing. Um, do you know when this is going to occur and then what is happening specifically with the FHFA on what they're, what what are they adjusting specifically? And I don't know. We've mentioned a few things, but just to recap some of that. So
1: they're making some major changes for our industry. The first one is, um, and they've not yet. Now, I haven't checked the website since the NBA, which is when they announced all these changes was last year at the NBA. But there's two major changes coming our way. We're going from a tri-merge to a bimerge, And when you go from a tri-merge to a bimerge, you're going to be calculating your scores differently. It's going to be an average. Now, that's today's thought process. But what FHFA has done, and I'm, I'm on these calls, is they have opened and other people can join these calls i did a post on it i'll send you the information mike if you want to add it to your feed but they're asking for stakeholder feedback and it's not just the company it's individuals right so first and foremost the changes are coming they were supposed to start q1 2024 with the move from the tri-merge to the buy merge real quick on that
0: the tri-merge to the buy merge Mm -hmm. so is somebody getting left out
1: that's that's lender choice right now
0: Okay, so so we have three credit bureaus Equifax, Experience Range Union. So right. you're saying that the lender, whoever that is, gets to decide which of the two that they're going to choose to merge. Yep. Wow. So somebody's going bye bye, right?
1: At well, some point, I don't know not right going away. But so that's, I think that's, that's the, yeah, there's a lot of controversial conversations around that. Let's say that. And then there's been some studies that I've seen that have been recently um dropped, let's say, that have said yeah. that if you go from a tri-merge to a bi merge you just took about 2.1 million people out of the housing pool. So that's one thought. Well, think yeah. about it. So rule America. Yeah. And when I lived in Texas, I was traveling all over Louisiana, some of the areas that had only finance companies, very small banks who may only Token report our Yep. Right. So if my credit is only being reported to, let's say to you and Equifax, but you pull Experian into you, am I going to get a fair shake? No. So what I've been asking lenders to do so that we can start to, to weigh these changes like real life in our offices is take four credit reports. What's your current mid, what's your mid with two and do those options, right? Cause your average, right. that's what they're going to look at. They're not going to do a mid anymore. You're going to have two. So what's your average score? Yeah. The idea has been and what's been published by FHFA is that the score differences between a tri-merge to a bi-merge is no more than 10 points, but that's not actually 100% accurate because there is a large population where it's more than 30 points. So how do we yeah. manage that? How do we manage that so that's part of the conversations they want feedback they want information but we're supposed to be getting some of the data that they did the research that they did on vantage 4.0 and fico 10t is supposed to be released in q3 so i'm i'm hunting for it daily to see if i can find it and then share it right so that's one change buy merge to try merge same score models now here comes the next change <laughs> i don't want to be on mortgage lender explaining this one uh-huh Here comes FICO 10T. Here comes Vantage score. Your credit report will display and will provide an explanation, a score disclosure notice for three scores. You'll still be using the old models until 2025.
0: But you're doing it by merge, but then you're showing all three.
1: By merge, but each bar will have three scores. So yes.
0: So yeah, Yeah. that's going to be a difficult conversation. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. so hey Mike, it's not just that my, you know, FICO 8 score is 659 or my credit karma score is 659, but my Vantage is 700. My FICO 10T is 658 and my 20-year-old FICO model is what you're going to write my loan on. I'm not happy with that.
0: Yeah, let me ask you a question on that then too. Is there a is there a scenario because it sounds like there would be where somebody say let's say you're a lender and they call you, right? And you're using Equifax and TransUnion as your try or your buy merge score. Okay. And then, and they have a, whatever, 700. Okay. And they call me and I'm using Experian and Equifax as my buy merge score as a separate, I'm a different mortgage bank. Right. Mm -hmm. And when they call me, their credit score is 730. Okay. Okay. Well, that 30 point difference moves them to the next tier and now they're going to get a better interest rate because I'm using the different scoring model than you're using because right now.
1: Well, you're using the same score models, but you're using different repositories.
0: Different bureaus. I'm sorry. Yeah. Different bureaus on that. So right now the it's a level playing field. Like if you from at least from what I understand, if someone has their credit pulled with me today and they have their credit pulled with you today, we're going to have the exact same three scores. You know, assuming there isn't anything right. reported in that whatever.
1: timing. yeah, tiny. Timing. Yeah,
0: timing. Yeah. So, but now if this change occurs, then depending on what bank um, on the bank that decides to use which repositories they decide to average,
1: mm-hmm. they
0: could have a higher score with one bank than the other. Is that is that right?
1: That's true. And there's been a lot of thought process about, well, just pull a, pull a soft bureau, pull a, pull a prequel soft, right? Yeah. Pull all three, pull a prequel soft, and then pull the two on your hard that are the highest.
0: Oh, so yeah. you could, as a lender, you could have either model and you, or three different, how many models would there be? One, two, like well, three or four? Well, if you pull four.
1: three hard, right? If you pull three, if you do a, a regular standard mortgage pull, which is a hard inquiry, you pull all three bureaus, you'll be forced to use those three bureaus and the old way. Right? Yeah. yeah. But there's some conversation around, maybe I just pull a soft pull, all three right. bureaus, figure out who's the two highest. And that's who I pull. Okay. Yeah. Now that's, that's a great strategy. If I was still originating, that's what I'd be doing. That's
0: right? a 1000% what I would do if that was the right? case. I like, oh. you're gonna
1: be getting your prequels all set up tomorrow. I know. It. Yeah. So now there's some thought process, though. But what if because score models were supposed to remove any idea of you know, prejudice, right? So what if Somebody goes, okay, I got my prequal soft, but yeah, I'm gonna use these other two, and they don't pull the two that are the best to the consumer. Now, why would a lender do that? I don't know, but that's some of the conversations that and questions that's being posed to FHFA and saying, how do we monitor this? Yeah, how do we ensure that the consumer, because these changes are supposed to be for the benefit of the consumer? Right. How are these changes going to benefit the consumer? How are we going to know? that lender one lender two are giving the the best option the other thing that fhfa has said and has been very very adamant about in these changes is that these changes are to force competition competition amongst the repositories
0: which i think is great i think that's fantastic
1: yeah who's got who's got the most the bigger data because that's really where these guys compete who's got the most data right so who's got the most data Um, who's got the, the best system for delivering information and data. Right. And then we're talking about competition amongst mortgage lenders. I'm simply happy that we're going to have two score models coming out in 2025, because we've had since 1995, a choice of one. Yeah. And that's the only thing in our mortgage industry that we have only one choice on.
0: The, the the whole credit games, it's it's a racket, you know, and, it, and it,
1: right? <laughs> it, it, it is
0: it is great that we have people like you, Sue, that that are, you know, came from the inside that that know all this stuff, because it is it's so incredibly confusing. And, and it's unfortunate because it plays such a it has such a heavy weight on everything that we do, especially because, I mean, good or bad, we are a debt based society. That is what we are. Our government operates at a deficit. Most people operate <laughs> in a deficit. Or I mean, never- Yes. I mean, it. it's, again, I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying it, it is what it is. And it's one of those things that your credit report and your credit score and all that that impacts has so much, you know, just dis- impact on our life. When I made the promo video for this, I was talking about how, like, this is something that literally can save you thousands of dollars a year in interest that you Absolutely. pay to your debt if you have it managed correctly. And Absolutely. that's, that's you know, for some people, that's a, that's a month's worth of pay or, you know, more so. So it, it's just, it's so impactful to people. And yet it's such a complicated thing. Very few people fully understand it. And, you know, those of us that work dealing with credit every day, you know, I do mortgages, but obviously- mm-hmm. I deal in people's credit report every day so i need to know this stuff because i have to be able to explain it to people because we're the ones on the front lines really kind of explaining this they don't get to talk to you you know and have a conversation with you and people like you all the time so loan officers and even real estate agents who are you know my primary audience here these are things that that we have to know because we have to be the ones on the front line educating our buyers and educating the borrowers on what they need to do and what impacts their score and how to go about it so they don't have to go pay some you know person that's probably not looking out for their best interest to give them bad information and do bad things that's really ultimately going to hurt them and you know it's incumbent on us to get as much information as much knowledge as we can because we're the ones that are that are the primary educators in in most of these things when it comes to the consumer.
1: It's true, Mike, and I, I think you know. It, it's funny. There is nothing interesting about having a credit conversation, right? Unless you need credit, that's yes. the only time that it's interesting. Yes. But I am working on creating some resources and um, some places where people can go and easily grab information and data that, as a real estate agent, they can provide that. Um, as a loan officer, they can provide that. So you know, look for kind of the next the next step of Suno's score is to. You know kind of expand a little bit out of linkedin i've had a number of um, mortgage professionals that have said i need i need to have something that you know is easily explained in the way that i try to deliver information as easy as i can to make a complicated situation easy um, so look for that coming up um, hopefully in the next 60 days i'll have that information up and running and you guys can grab what you're looking for like how do
0: I explain inquiries that's awesome I really really appreciate it too um you know we're a whole hour and 20 into it, it was the <laughs> exactly. longest one I've done in a little while just because it's chock full of information we could probably go on for another hour too so I definitely um want to have you back sometime in the near future yeah. um to kind of revisit you know once some of these scoring models kind of really come into play and see how they're impacting things and then of course once you get all your stuff ready to go and, and yeah. get it out there to uh to professionals like us so we can really um educate ourselves further so that we can carry on that education to our buyers, because especially with interest rates being through the roof right now, you know, maximizing your credit score is, is really going to make a big financial difference in a lot of people's lives. So.
1: Absolutely. And it, and it can do it in less than 30 days. So there is hope. you just got to know the rules of the game. Yep.
0: That's right. That's right. Well, thank you so much, Sue. Thanks for coming on and being with us today. I appreciate everybody that stuck around. Thanks for all the great questions. Um, we will, uh, I'm actually changing up my publishing schedule a little bit. So this will actually go onto Spotify and Apple tomorrow. Um, I'm doing a, I do a weekly update now for, uh, the, the market news is generally that I publish on Monday these days. So I'm kind of switching things around, but this will be published on Apple and Spotify tomorrow. So if you want to check it out, uh, download it on those platforms and re-listen to this cause you're probably gonna need to go through this. I'm yeah. going to have to go through this a couple more times, make sure I get all my notes correctly because, uh, there's just a ton of information in this one. So, so thank you so much for your time, Sue, and thank you for everybody that stuck around and we will see you next week. Thanks, Mike. All right.